Welcome to this BJSM podcast and I'm delighted to be having a chat with Ann Gates who many of you will know from Exercise Works and Mr Ian Ritchie who's the President of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. So we don't usually have uh, Royal College of Surgeons presence on the call and we don't usually have them talking about exercise which is the very point of this podcast, physical activity for health is everybody's business and there's quite an initiative for surgeons being involved as well as other health disciplines. So welcome to the call, Anne and Ian. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to begin with Anne Gates. Now, Anne, you've been very prominent on Twitter under Exercise Works. You've got a fantastic blog as Exercise Works. And in our preparation of this podcast, you're saying that it's going to be about leadership. And you've been a leader in sports medicine and exercise prescription. Now, we all know that exercise is good for you, so we don't want to spend any time talking about that. But we want to talk about how to get it going and what are the key things that you've done to try to get people to adopt exercise. Well, I think that my, my main role, and, and as part of the World Heart Federation's Emerging uh, Leaders Program, uh, which I was very fortunate to uh, be part of in 2014, has been to really address the gap um, uh, uh, in uh, exercise medicine implementation, um, not only on knowledge transfer, but operationally, with the education component, um, Uh, for our health professionals. So the main problem has been is that our undergraduate doctors are not trained in exercise medicine, uh, so how can we expect them to be delivering it it uh, competently uh, in practice? Uh, Our allied health professionals also uh, are not... um, uh, taught in exercise medicine, possibly with the exception of obviously physiotherapy and physical therapy courses. But also um, there's this sort of um, problem with non-communicable diseases. The burden of inactivity and uh, chronic disease globally is such that um, we need to be training our community outreach workers and charity workers around the importance of physical activity in lower middle income countries. So from my perspective, um, about uh, three years ago, uh, you know, I sat down and, and realised that this was a huge problem uh, and, and um, I decided that um, I was going to try and do something about it and try and contribute to the exercise medicine agenda um, with some you know, valuable experience that I'd already had working in the National Health Service in the United Kingdom but also to, to, to try and inspire some really high level ambitious plans on addressing those gaps on, uh, on clinical education. And so, again, there's a curriculum issue. We need to have all health workers involved as a team, and we need high-level policy support, and you've started on that, and we'll, we'll talk about that in some more detail. Let's go to Ian Ritchie and hear about how surgeons have embraced the idea of exercise and exercise as medicine, which is surprising for some of our listeners, I think. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I think it's a, it's a work in progress, but generally the, there's increasing evidence that exercise uh, can stop the need for surgery, but if people are um, embarking on elective operations, then to, to indulge in exercise uh, before your operation is is a good thing because it increases your chance of surviving and also reducing uh, complications from surgery. And then finally, in the post-operative phase, rehabilitation is enhanced by somebody being fit before they have their operation, and exercise speeds up the process. So on almost every level, exercise is good for patients who are going for surgery. 
And I think that's the message that I particularly would like to spread out uh, amongst surgeons on this matter. But I also want surgeons to know that exercise is good for them because there's no doubt that a surgeon sitting across the table from a patient uh, who is not particularly fit is not going to be able to transmit the message to the patient that exercise or activity is good for them if he isn't uh, showing evidence of being a role model for this himself. And Ian, as an organisation, what has the Royal College of Surgeons done to move this agenda? We've uh, formed a group to consider the matter. Um, it's, it's quite a wide-ranging group, including um, uh, allied health professionals as well as surgeons. Um, and the, the group has come up with some uh, advice for surgeons and for, for patients, which is available on the college website, uh, to just to um, enhance the idea that exercise is, is good for patients and for surgeons. So that's, that's the way we've gone at the moment. But we, we continue to work with other colleges in the British Isles to promote the message that exercise is uh, good treatment. Um, and I think that's what we're, we'll continue to do. Uh, we're also working with the Scottish Government to enhance this um, message as well for the population as a whole. And, and do you want to comment on that? Uh, well, yes, I think that the, you know, the work that the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh have, have started, uh, and then, you know, this is the culmination of some sort of 18 months' work, uh, has been absolutely pivotal in um, recognising that exercise is really important medicine. And just to put some of that context behind the importance of exercise in surgery, more people die from blood clots in the United Kingdom than breast cancer, AIDS and road traffic accidents. And so from my perspective, you know, this is a very, very key, uh, not only clinical issue, but also, uh, a, a, you know, a, a public awareness and a health promotion, not just within surgical teams, but also in the commissioning bodies and um, the um, the health and well-being boards that we have set up across the country to identify that, uh, you know, there's a real opportunity to collaborate much better between, uh, you know, between uh, patient care and uh, hospital care around surgery. Uh, you know, and in the United Kingdom, you know, if, if it's an elective surgery, then patients are often waiting for three months. And, you know, that could be very valuable, and I use this term, you know, health care, um, where patients are actually, you know, it's not waiting time. Uh, 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 somebody from Twitter said, you know, it's training time. And I think that, you know, we could see in the future lots of exciting initiatives working, uh, you know, with, with surgical teams that enable their patients to access uh, good quality uh, exercise support to help them through their surgery. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as Ian very rightly said, to get much better, you know, um, uh, 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 lower rates of complications, lower rates of infections, lower rates of, you know, for example, blood clots, and, uh, but also to make patients healthier and fitter for, for their surgery. As clinicians, um, Ian, have you got a case scenario of a patient where you've got them exercising before surgery successfully and uh, you've seen some benefits maybe in your own practice or in someone you know well? And not specifically, although it's, it's been my observation that the fitter the patient, the less time they spend in hospital. Um, and this is a combination of a mental attitude as well as general fitness. Uh, I have had patients who have had hip replacements who've been out the day after surgery. 
Uh, and that was very much a mental attitude, but it was backed up by somebody who was generally very fit. And then on the other side of it, the people who are less fit, who are maybe obese and uh, struggling to get out of bed, they do take a lot longer to get out of hospital. And I think this, this is just a general trend that I've noticed over, over my career. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I mean, um, it's been very interesting. Um, we, you know, we've had uh, patients who actually have started, um, uh, you know, have joined a gym and, and trained with a gym and, and actually was, um, you know, this is in Derby, a Derby um, orthopedic um, consultant recommended exercise and was, is routinely recommending exercise. And actually, um, they, they didn't need the operation after three months of being um, uh, on the list, they'd, they'd increase their, their strength exercises to the point that actually the consultant was of the clinical opinion that they, they actually didn't need the operation. And that was quite important. And the issue was that had that um, uh, person, that patient, had uh, an operation, she was self-employed. She would have been obviously um, uh, 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 on a rehab program for maybe you know, six to eight weeks and, uh, and may not have stopped, you know, started work until at least 12 weeks. And so that was actually quite life-changing for her because she's really, it would have been in a lot of pain uh, with, with her knee. And, and the fact that she'd undergone a very uh, careful and structured exercise program with, uh, you know, core strengthening, knee strengthening, uh, improving her balance uh, and, and her general fitness levels, ultimately, you know, meant that she, she, she wasn't going to have the inconvenience of loss of income. But, you know, it's very, you know, it's a very important quality of life issue for her. So, you know, I think that there's lots of examples around uh, where, uh, you know, exercise pre-surgery is very important. And, and I think that this, there's now this emerging concept, particularly with cancer surgery, where, it, you know, it's becoming very exciting to get people to get patients fitter and healthier because we know that their um, survival ship from, from surgery is much better, but also their general health when they you know, undergo chemotherapy or radiotherapy is so much more improved. So to me, this is about a holistic you know, approach to the journey of a patient uh, through, you know, through the, the healthcare pathways. And so on the calls, on those podcasts, there's listeners who are clinicians and there will be patient listeners as well. If we begin with the clinicians... They've listened to the call. They want to get someone exercising before their surgeon. Uh, perhaps, Ian, um, what should they do? The business of just getting up and walking is extremely important. If um, patients can take, increase their level of just plain, ordinary physical activity, that will be a very, very good start. Uh, secondly, if they're looking for advice, then they should be asking their uh, their general practitioner, the, their family doctor for advice, or maybe their local physiotherapist or uh, other allied health uh, care professional. For me, the, the business of exercise as a medicine, physical activity as a medicine, is one which is a prescription that's available to everybody. You don't have to have a medical degree to prescribe it. I think there is an, an element of care to be taken in exactly what is prescribed, but by and large, um, the business of getting up and walking is something we all do every day. And perhaps if patients were just to do a bit more of it, that would be a very good start. And? 
Yes, I would agree uh, that, that sort of um, helping patients to incorporate extra physical activity into their daily lives. You know, this isn't about uh, joining a gym um, or, or, or necessarily, although that social support or, you know, community group exercise class may be well appropriate. Um, but I think that this is about very simply introducing more walking into their lives, more exercises within the home, um, more movement, um, uh, you know, and, and consciously making the effort to take the stairs more. And it's very difficult because pre-surgery, you know, patients may be in pain, uh, they may have immobility issues, they may have other symptoms as well. But actually we know from the science um, that, that, you know, and the research studies that in fact, you know, exercise is a very good modulator uh, of pain control and, and, and such a simple gentle exercises or even chair-based exercises are, are incredibly important. And just to sort of give this some clinical context, you know, it's really crazy that if somebody's waiting for a total hip replacement or a total knee replacement, that they don't continue um, upper body exercises to maintain their health. Because, you know, when you think about this clinically in reality, if we're encouraging immobility and inactivity the three months prior to an operation, and then, it, and then obviously post-operation, um, patients are becoming more mobile, then actually you're looking at us clinically deconditioning the human body over a period of six months. And as we all know, that, you know that's, very, that's, that's very significant as people lose muscle mass, they lose their sense of balance, they lose their sense of confidence, they lose their cardiorespiratory uh, fitness very, very quickly. So this is about a very pragmatic approach, to, a very simple approach to encouraging walking, encouraging people to take the stairs more, to do you know, simple uh, stretching exercises, uh, you know, things that fit within their daily life that they can accommodate easily and that are sustainable over that six-month period. But also, most importantly, and I think for me this is the, the, the sort of essence of the whole conversation we're having today, is about that that clinician, that episode in that patient's life is a massive opportunity for a health professional to influence that the life course of that patient and you know something that I always talk about is cradle to grave care and you know to me exercise medicine is just as life-saving uh, potentially as the you know the surgical care that they could get or the interventions you know through drug therapy and so I think it's putting a lot more of the medicine and science behind exercise into our clinical practice that's absolutely key and keeping it very simple as Ian said you know a, you know regular walking program looking for opportunities for people to share walking with their neighbors with their friends and family uh, and also to seek advice and support from their healthcare communities Let's move to the curriculum before we finish with policy. So when I went through medical school, I didn't get much advice like this, and it wasn't on the curriculum really, I'd say. What have you done, and to change that? Um, well, we sat down and we said, well, really, what, what is needed in the curriculum? And so we pulled together a set of resources that comprise of uh, a, a slide uh, set resources, uh, a module um, uh, that uh, was written by Dr. Brian Johnson. Uh, we used uh, some existing work, some great work that had already been done by King's College London, uh, Dr. John Brooks and their community healthcare team uh, around educating uh, doctors, and, and that was particularly on sports and exercise medicine. And so really harnessing what was currently best practice and pulling it together 
um, in, in, and in discussions with Nottingham University Medical School, um, we identified that they would be um, uh, very keen to present to the medical school's council, um, you know, from a strategic perspective, uh, the use of these resources. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm absolutely delighted uh, to inform your listeners um, that in October of this year, the medical school's council agreed to make these resources available um, freely to all medical schools in the United Kingdom. To all your listeners out there and all your medical students, please ask for exercise medicine and, you know, in the UK and, and obviously internationally as well. You know, let's generate this, this asking. You know, this is what we want to be taught. We want to feel that when we go out, uh, uh, you know, as, as tomorrow's doctors, that we are equipped to, to train to, and to, to, to support tomorrow's patients. Okay. Can I just back that up, um, Karim, and say that uh, I think the medical students are highly intelligent and they're trained in problem-based learning. So if their problem is what's the, what are the questions around exercise and activity and health, then the evidence is there for them to find quite easily. I think it, it would be uh, very good, actually, as well, for medical students to, to do exactly what Anne has said, and that is to ask questions about the uh, evidence for physical activity uh, and its influence on health. And that would stimulate their teachers into thinking about it. Uh, Anne's work on the undergraduate curriculum has been uh, excellent. Uh, and I've certainly been very supportive with the Medical Schools Council in the United Kingdom, trying to encourage them to look at this uh, and consider how they might apply it in the undergraduate curriculum for uh, medical students in future. I think it's, a, as Anne said, a top-down and a bottom-up approach. And I would certainly encourage medical students to ask the inquiring question, which uh, quite often stimulates the teacher to think as well. Is exercise medicine being adopted nationally by health policy? The, there's no doubt that it's rising uh, up the agenda of the policymakers. The, the, the simple fact that increasing physical activity reduces the burden on health care services is one that's difficult to ignore. And I think um, the, 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 the trick, I suppose, is to enable the structures that happen in public life generally, uh, which influence whether people are active, uh, is is one level, but then there's the other level, which is at the grassroots, where people increasingly understand for themselves that physical activity is an essential part of a healthy lifestyle. And I think how policymakers should be doing their best to make sure that the, the uh, situations are in place, the, the levers are in place to encourage people to be more physically active. I think they... The Scottish Government is certainly working hard on trying to enhance that approach, but inevitably it takes a little bit of time, and of course all policymakers are also politicians who depend on votes for their positions. So it does, it does take time, but I think it's going to be an accelerating process. Um, yes, I totally agree. I think, I think to be honest, I, I think that um, the Everybody Active uh, Everyday campaign uh, in England has also been pivotal uh, strategically. And I know that Professor Kevin Fenton, um, who's the Director uh, of Public Health at NHS England, uh, has been very pivotal on that and is a very keen, passionate advocate of, of physical activity. 
uh, I, 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 you know, and I'd like to reiterate that that grassroots um, approach is, is absolutely pivotal in the success of exercise medicine in uh, meeting the burden of chronic diseases. And I'm conscious about time here, and we've covered the fact that surgery is an area where physical activity can be used both preoperatively, postoperatively, with surgeons using it as a teachable moment and championing it for their patients, and surgeons having a role in authority in the community and in hospitals. We've covered curriculum changes that have been implemented, and we're saying that there are some policy changes, all of which is largely optimistic. Any comments to finish, Ian? Um, well, I'm, I was born an optimist, uh, but I'm also um, very keen to make this a sustainable change. I think 30 years of experience in, in the NHS has enabled me to see very clearly that we have to we have to keep things very simple but very strategic. And you know, I'm going for a really big change on this, and to um, to lever. Uh, a greater awareness in all undergraduate education uh, is a very clear outcome to me. Um, so, um, you know, to aspire by a certain date, um, and, and using Scotland again as the example, that all health professionals trained uh, by the Scottish universities will be confident, competent, and capable of supporting patients to uh, exercise uh, for the health benefits, to me is, is, the, the, is the aspiration. Uh, and I think that um, you know, optimism and aspiration go a long way in exercise medicine. Ian. Uh, yes, thanks, Karima. The, I would echo Anne's uh, sentiments on that. Uh, I would also pay tribute to Anne's uh, leadership and enthusiasm, which uh, almost single-handedly has taken this from a rather peripheral issue to one that's quite central in healthcare, certainly in the UK and increasingly internationally. I'm, I'm also comfortable with the fact not complacent but comfortable with the fact that the process has started and that it will continue and it has an inevitability to it which uh, I find very encouraging Thanks Ian and we will leave it there I'm conscious that there are other avenues this conversation can take and I'd be happy to follow that up on future podcasts with each of you and other guests as we wrap up the podcast Anne Gates has over 22,000 followers on Twitter and she's tweeted 80,000 times. So congratulations, Anne, and your efforts in the area. Thank you. You've really taken the bull by the horns and uh, are driving this and doing it collegially with important uh, people in, in colleges and in government. And so I think many people are very happy for your leadership and are doing their parts and you've acknowledged some of those on the, on the podcast. So we'll leave it with Anne's note of optimism and enthusiasm, but with concrete steps that we can all take with a view that we all do our part to put bricks in the wall and end up having patients benefit from the power that is physical activity medicine. Thanks so much for being on the call. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. And you've been listening to the SpeedSM podcast, which is one of 130 that you can find on SoundCloud and Google easily. Follow us on Twitter at BJSM underscore BMJ for regular updates. And feel free to send suggestions about who you'd like to hear on BMJ, BJSM podcasts. Thanks a ton for listening and have an active day. Bye.